0: Let's do what God loves and what Satan hates. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. It's not about our strength, our power, our ability. It's about your spirit. Souls will be saved by your spirit. Marriages will be repaired by your spirit. People will be pulled away from suicide by your spirit. People will be strengthened and encouraged by your spirit. May you work mightily in this room. May you work mightily in people's homes, their cars, wherever they're hosting this Facebook event, Father, that you would work through us, through your word, through your spirit. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for the church to bring the peace of God, the blood of Jesus into the story that is the only true unifier. So, Father, hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, Besides the Father's Day gift... Uh, out there, there are little postcards. Um, This was birthed out of my love for baseball cards. And I I I got one in the mail from one of our missionaries and it said, please take this card and pray for our missionaries. And we thought that was a great idea. So most of you have no idea all the people that you're actually supporting literally every single day. Every country in the world, you are planting churches, you are feeding people, you are running orphanages. And so each month we're going to put five of these out there and you'll get one of them. And so believe me, we've got years before we will get to the end of our of our missionaries by doing five a month. Uh, but I happen to pick up the trusty family. They are church planters in New Zealand. And we've been, uh, we're, we've, we've been supporting them for a few years. I've never met them. Uh, they actually went to the college I went to, but I've never met them. But they have planted their second church in New Zealand. The first one is doing very well, and they continue to do great work. And. So if you pick that up, you'll learn about them, you'll learn about where they are, you'll learn their family's name, and we ask that you pray for them. Put it on your fridge, put it on your car, and if you want to collect them all, that's up to you. But um, each month, you'll get a chance to grab one of our missionaries' cards and keep that, and it's not, I don't think it's worth anything, but it's, hopefully you will use it. That's the whole purpose. And there's a scripture at the bottom of each one that you'd have a month to memorize a verse while you're doing that. Just a thought, okay? So those, those are out there. Um, I really put myself out on this one, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Did you guys hear that, uh, that Walmart is closing all of their stores in Afghanistan? Yeah. Apparently there's a Target on every corner. <laughs> you're afraid to laugh. That's the problem. Now you're afraid to laugh. Listen, I figured nobody's watching in Afghanistan. If you're watching, we're glad you're there. Um, the story we're going to look at tonight is in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's about the prophet Elisha. And we, we've talked about a lot of miracles that he's done. Uh, but in this story, we see the realness of who this prophet was. He lives in Mount, on Mount Carmel. And uh, if you go there today, Elisha's cave is still there. And, well, I mean, caves don't go anywhere, but we know that it's where he lived. Now, we find it's interesting in Scripture because, you know, it says John the Baptist is the New Testament version. We found out that John the Baptist ate the same food, wore the same clothes, hung out in the same area. And he, just on the other side of the Jordan, guess where John lived? In a cave. We just found his cave about 10 years ago and it's, it's his. I don't know if it says John slept here, but we know that it was the cave where John the Baptist lived. So Elisha lives there, but he travels. He's on the road. He's preaching. He's teaching to all of Israel. And when he travels, he needs a place to stay. And when he goes to this one part of Israel, one family always takes him in. He's got a vacation place. And the wife says, look, you know, Elisha's always here. Why don't we just build on? Why don't we just build a room? This is not a a play to get me a vacation house, okay? I'm just letting you know. She said, look, the prophet stops by here all the time. Why don't we just get him his own room, put a bed in there. He can come and go as he wants. Then he doesn't have to worry about it. He knows he's got a place, okay? That's the story. That's what it says. And well, Let's just read it. Here we go. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. We'll start in verse 8. We're just going to... I can't read the whole story. It's a whole chapter, so you need to read it. But one day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there, who urged him to stay for a meal, so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Apparently she was a good cook. She said to her husband, I know that this man often comes our way, and he is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put him in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he came to stay there whenever he comes to see us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite lady. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said, Tell her, you've gone to all the trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, She has no son, and her husband is old. And she said, Call her in. And Elisha said so. He called her in. She stood in the doorway. And about this time next year, he said, You will hold a son in your arms. She said, No, my Lord. Please, man of God, don't mislead me. But the woman did become pregnant and the next year about that same time she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her okay son grows up she's happy and then one day the son has had, has a headache and he dies in her arms when Elisha reached the house she goes running to Elisha said Elisha I need you to come back to my house there was the boy lying dead on the couch When he went in, he shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed, laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and he stretched himself out on him, literally bringing life back. The boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out one more time. The boy sneezed seven times, and he opened his eyes. Elisha said, "'Go and call the Shunammite lady.'" When she came in, Elisha said, Take your son. It's a great story. You can be seated. It's a great story. Now, again, let's not do eisegesis, let's do exegesis. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Eisegesis is when you take something and go, Okay, that means I can raise somebody from the dead. No, it does not. That is not what it means. It means there was a particular time in history when God was showing something. We saw it during Moses. We saw it during Elijah and Elisha. We saw it during Jesus' life. It does not mean there's no application whatsoever saying that I have that authority. That's not what it says. So what does it say? Okay. Well, the first thing that I find fascinating in the story is that she was making room for God. Now, some of you do this. You, you have a home and you host missionaries. Uh, you host people. That's, that's great. Uh, but that's just kind of the core principle, isn't it? Making room for God. Because oftentimes we say, well, you know, I would love to do that. I just don't have enough time. I'd love to give more, but I don't have enough money. I would love to serve more, but my schedule's this. On and on we go. So then we go to, we go to my, my story here. All right. So let's just pretend that these vases are your life, my life. And I've chosen a Cardinal baseball, Ozzie Smith, retired Hall of Famer, to represent God, okay? All right. And this ball is God. Now, we'll just set God down right there because that's what a lot of people do with God. And what I have here is our lives, See, I have. Uh, that's Facebook. There's Instagram. Well, let's uh, let's see. Let's do. I use a small one. That's sports. since nobody's playing. Um, there's a there's my neighbors, and there's some other stuff. And then here's a few other things that. So my life got pretty full there, didn't it? Oh, wait, there's one more. That must be Instagram, too. All right. Well, there's still a little room, right? Still got room for God. We could put him in there. But that's usually not what happens. We will take him back out. Because then we got some little stuff. You got bills to pay. You got frustrations. You got people that bother you. You got all kinds of stuff going on. These are smaller things, but these smaller things, they kind of fill in even now. We get there, guess what? There's no room for God at all. Now guess what we're going to do with the second vase? If we put God in first, now watch. I can put all kinds of stuff in here. Not all of it. And honestly, that probably needs to be thrown away. But did you see how much we were able to do once we put God first? Anybody with me? That's what... The, you, you can clap for God. That's what this lady did, and that's the story. You may not have to build a house, a room on your house to house a prophet. That may not be what God's calling you to do. But have you made room for God in your life? Is God the priority? Are you spending time reading, obeying the word of God? And it's it's always astounding to me how many people talk the talk and how few people actually walk the walk. If I had a dollar for every time somebody talked to me about helping someone, I'd have a lot of dollars. But if I actually said how many times have you helped somebody I wouldn't have very many dollars. And so there's a there's a pivotal point here where we have to decide God goes first. And if God goes first with your schedule, your day, your life, your plan, your finances. If you put God first, there'll be room for a lot of other stuff. But everybody in this room knows full well that if you don't put God first, everything else will fill up your life. It's that simple. This lady said, No, we need to make room for God. Good husband. Guess what he did? He built the room. Good man. And if you think it's weird that they built it on the roof, I've slept on roofs uh, in different parts of the world. It's actually a very nice place. I was going to say a cool place, but it is. That's why they put a room on the roof. That's where you want to be. Good view. There's a nice breeze. It would have been probably the best room in the house. And she said, you know what, why don't we just... Do this now. There's a similar story in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. There's a story about a lady named Lydia, and you've probably blown through this story many, many times. But without Lydia, you're not sitting here today. Really, yeah. Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth, right? That was a big deal back then. Purple was a very difficult color to have. She was a wealthy person, she also had. A nice house, very similar to this story. And she is down at the river, and Paul shows up and tells her about Jesus. She's a devout believer in God, and she accepts Jesus that very day. She's baptized, and Paul said, well, I need to get on my way. And she said, if you really believe that I've become a follower of Jesus, stay at my house. For the rest of Paul's life, her house would be his ministry Lydia is the first convert in Europe and everywhere Paul goes all over the Roman Empire, Lydia's house is his home base. You didn't know anything about Lydia. Without Lydia, maybe you don't hear about Jesus. She didn't preach. She didn't teach. She opened her house. She said, God, I got room for you. Paul can stay here. Isn't that good stuff? Sometimes we think, man, I've got to be Billy Graham. No, maybe you just need to be Lydia. Maybe you're a dealer in purple sitting by the river. But you've got something you can do. You can make room for God. But he's he's got to be first. And then uh, as we, well, let's go with this. The kingdom of heaven. All right, this is one of my favorite parables. It's very simple. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, He hides it again. Then in joy, he goes and sells all he has. And he buys that field. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? He's talking about eternal life. He said, if you've got all of this stuff, but you finally realize how to get to heaven and spend eternity with God, he said, you will gladly go sell all that stuff to come back and grab the pearl of great price is what he calls it. He said, when you find the one thing in the world that really matters, then you will get rid of the rest of it and you will make room for God. If you have to dump some stuff out, you will make room for God. You see the story? <clears throat> I love these kind of stories. The guy in, uh, well, we don't know where it was, somewhere out west, right? The guy that hid the chest, it was worth a million dollars, modern day Story. He hit, he hides this chest full of gold, and I think we've got it. Uh, it's full of gold and gems, and all. It's worth a million dollars. And then he put a map out to people, and people have been looking for this for like 20 years. And they you know it's not true. It's made up. Last week a guy found it. A guy found it. Now the question is, they're hoping that that guy will turn around and rehide it somewhere and do his own map and keep the story going. That's pretty cool. But that's exactly what Jesus said. When you find the ultimate gift, you sell everything else. And you focus on what what could be more important than what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that my past and your past can be wiped away by accepting Jesus Christ, by making that personal decision, not just to come to church, but to say, no, I need Jesus, and I'm going to make Him first. When you make that decision, it changes everything else. So we've got to make room for God. But as we move on, you have to watch for people in need. Let's, let's just, again, I'm going to just kind of turn this scripture. So Elisha's staying there. He's obviously stayed there several times at, at his new vacation place. And he says, you know, find out what we can do for her. She's been so kind. Find out what we can do for her. Yes, it's a boy, and there's a miracle, the, the resurrection, and all. We could, we could spend all night on that story if we wanted. But what I want you to see is that Elisha was looking to meet a need. He said, can I talk to the king for you? Can I talk to the head of the army? I mean, the possibilities are rolling there, right? You talk to the king? I got, I got some things you could tell the king or ask the king for. But all she wanted was a son. You know, there's people around us that are in need, and I love this church so much. Last week, when we did the offering for the Ethiopian pastors, and uh, we th- we threw it out there, and we just said, "Look, there's eighty there's eighty pastors out there, and it's uh, you know we need a hundred dollars to to take care of their family for a month." And and honestly, I, smaller crowds, I, I I thought maybe we would get a couple of thousand dollars. Can I tell you, we got eight thousand dollars. We covered all those pastors. You, you and I, you and I used what we had, found somebody in need, and 80 pastors and their families will eat for a month because of you. All right. Now that's not to say, hey, look at us. You obeyed God. You found somebody in need, and you did something about it. That's what we're talking about. Now, if you weren't a part of that, we'll give you another chance. Don't worry. Don't worry. Am I fair in giving you always opportunities? All right. Fair enough. All right. Proverbs 19, 17, is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. How's the Lord going to reward me? I don't know, but I'll take it. Whatever God's plan is to reward me, it must be a good one, Right? Let me get this right. I give $50 to help these guys in Africa and someday God's going to, God's going to remember that. I'm not earning my salvation. My salvation was paid for on the cross, but God said, I will reward you. It's like when dad said, listen, I got something special for you. He didn't have to go into detail. If that, if dad thought it was special, that was good enough. That was good enough. But then the last part of it, and we didn't even read the details of this, but it is is to run to God and not away from Him. And in a time like this, it's real easy to run away from God, and maybe not even intentionally. Maybe just out of fear, out of anxiety, you just sort of by default turn away from God. When, When the lady's son died... You read the story for yourself. It said she immediately ran from her house to Elisha's house. It's a long way away. How do I know it's a long way away? Because when Elijah traveled, he stayed at her house. He didn't go home. So it's far enough away that Elisha didn't want to have to go home. She ran all the way to Elisha's house. Now. She did not run thinking that God would bring him back from the dead. Elisha says to her while she's running, he sees her and he says, are you okay? She said, yeah, everything's okay. I'm like, what? Everything's okay? She comes and she throws herself at Elisha's feet and she just says, you know, my son's dead. And Elisha said, I don't think so. And she said, well, then you come back with me. Now we're talking about a couple days. If I know God and I know how Scripture work, I'm going to say it was three days. All right? I'm just going to make that up just because I know how God operates. But three days later, Elisha brought her son back to life because she ran to God. Now let me help you with this. Running to God can look in, look different ways. It can be running to Him in prayer, running to Him to cry, running to Him to be upset. In Genesis, when Joseph ran to God, remember what he did? He ran away from a sexual encounter. A lady was offering herself to Joseph and he said, I can't do this. And he ran to God by running away from sin. You got to choose To run. It's amazing to me how we're not in a hurry for a lot of things. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a few things going on in our country. There's a few things going on in our world. And to see people not be in a hurry to accept Jesus or to follow Jesus or help somebody else find Jesus, but to just kind of stroll along like we got all the time in the world. Maybe you ought to read Matthew 24, it'll mess you up. In fact, you could just lay the news journal right here and the Bible right here. Read Matthew 24. Check me out. I don't know if we're at the end or not, but we're at the end for a lot of people. And it may be the end for you, and there needs to be some urgency about us. Well, it wouldn't be right if I didn't tell you the story to mess you up, right? Here's a picture of space. Again, I want you to trust the Word of God. This is the story I read this week. Now listen, I don't pretend to understand physics. I'm as dumb as this sand, all right? I, I don't get it. I don't have a clue when physicists start talking. I just know that every time they talk, they think they're doing away with God and they're just telling me how great God is. And this was this week's story. Physicists said that the universe continues to expand upon itself. Really? So I read the article. Well, we know that everything is moving out, right? Stars are moving, the solar system's moving. As we spin through space, everything is spreading out. The scientists said here's what we can't explain space continues to create itself so that as the stars move further out, there's somewhere for those stars to go. Now, I'm reading that, and I'm like, "Now, okay, wait, wait. All right, so space knows to create itself so that the stars have a place to go. Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time, space, and matter. Now, I don't, I, I, I don't maybe this is all sitting on God's coffee table, and he's just doing this. I don't know, but I defy you to show me how you can create space. Nobody can create space except the Creator. Now, here's where we come home. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus has just gone through this huge teaching about how people will be separated on Judgment Day. Sheep and goats, he calls them. And he says, we'll be known by our works. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by what Jesus did. But because you're saved, you will feed the hungry. You will clothe the naked. And if you're not, you won't. And that's, you know, that's how Jesus is going to separate us out. But then he talks about that when we get into the presence of God, there's two things that's going to happen. One, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. I like that. The other one, not so good. The other one says, get away from me. I never knew you. And it says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, R.C. Sproul, um, God rest his soul, from Orlando, great church over there, uh, 50 years or so. R.C. Sproul said, you need to pay attention to this verse. He said, weeping and gnashing of teeth are two kinds of people in hell. He said, there's one group, the gnashing of teeth. Those people, they just hate God. They always have hated God. They don't believe in God. They're out to get God. They're Satanists. They're whatever they might be. But they've hated God their entire life. And when they're in hell, they'll still be grinding their teeth. They they will be so angry that they're in hell. I don't know that anybody here is in that space. I hope I hope not. I don't think anybody... Wa- I don't know that you're watching tonight if you're in that spot where you're like, I'm going to be... I just so I hate God so much. But there will be that group of people. The other group is the group I'm talking to tonight. And it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping are the people that heard the story of Jesus over and over again, never accepted it, never did anything with it, never were faithful to God, never made a commitment, never obeyed Jesus, never accepted Him, their eternity will be spent weeping because they had the information and they let it slip right through their hands. Look, I don't want that to be you. I don't want it to be anybody. We've got prayer counselors that are up front, And they're here to pray for you. They're here to answer your question. Listen, I don't want to be in hell. I want to be forgiven. Great. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. But I don't want to be gnashing of teeth or crying. I'm not good at either one of those. I want to hear well done. So if you need to make that decision, you're watching online, there's a button you push. I've decided. I'm ready. Somebody contact me. Email me. Email one of us. Text me. You've got somebody's phone number, email. We'll be happy to get with you, answer your questions, help you get right with Jesus. If you're in the room, come on down. Let's pray. Father, everybody here needs to make room for you. Some more than others. Some have got issues where they've got to start afresh. Some have got got some major turnarounds that need to happen. Others have just drifted a little bit. Some have let anxiety take the place of their relationship with God. We've let the world stack in so much that we've almost walled you completely out. So, Lord, I don't know who you're speaking to tonight in this room. I don't know who you're speaking to online. I don't know who's going to watch this two weeks from now and you're going to speak to them. But that's the power of your word. So, Father, above everything else tonight, let us make room for you. In Jesus' name.